This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Patterson Program, where you'll learn how to improve your health from the inside out. And now, your host, Clint Patterson. Thanks for joining us today on the Patterson Podcast. Today we've got John on this episode and we're going to look at his situation and break it down and find out where he's got some of the current challenges and then I'm going to talk about what I would do if I was in John's situation. So thanks very much for joining me, John. All right. Thanks for having me. So mate, uh, I got a few notes that you sent through beforehand. I believe you've had inflammatory problems for a very long time. So why don't you uh, give us a quick summary and then once we've had that, you can throw me some challenges that you're currently going through. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, I'm 39 years old and I was diagnosed uh, 31 years ago, seemingly overnight, honestly. I recall going to bed, going to bed, nothing, waking up and not noticing anything until I walked down to see where my family was. And the first thing my mother said was, what is wrong with your knee? I didn't even notice it myself. Next thing I remember, I was in the emergency room and the doctors were taking samples and and then physical therapy was a part of my life for the next, I don't know, eight, nine years. And um, basically really not knowing what was going on. Uh, every The doctors were speaking over my head to, to my parents. You know, an overwhelming sense of out, being out of control, being in a lot of pain. I'd say the most acute uh, years were the first, probably until I was about 15. So I'd say the first seven years, lots and lots of oral medications and medications to stop the side effects and um mm. and moved on into to some gold treatments and yeah. uh, into we we eventually uh, so I always had uh, anti-inflammatories and then some some sort of like stomach coating uh things cuz I had a lot of stomach ulcers early on yeah i'm and, i'm not surprised if you were taking a lot of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and things like that pain, just general painkillers yeah just for my listeners who'd be interested me as well what were you taking to try and offset the stomach ulcers that all those non-steroidal drugs were giving you Honestly, it's so long ago now. The I only one remember. I remember was Tagamet liquid. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Okay. And were they effective? Like when you had these stomach ulcers, did it mean that then you had to go off the painkillers for a period of time and doctors would say you can't take them and so forth? Let's see what I recall. And and I'm sure my memory is quite is not completely accurate. I don't remember having to get off of them. I should ask my, you know, my mother was running running yeah, the show. Would you like me to go ask yeah. her quickly? I don't think it's that critical. No, okay. let's let's move along. And I, I didn't mean to put you in that position. It's just I thought, you know, if you did know, it would be kind of useful. But there's going to be so much other yeah. stuff that's that's going to be yeah. really interesting to folks. So Okay. Yeah. So I just remember knowing what the f- sensations were. I could I remember telling people, here comes a stomach ulcer. Right. And um they would change a protocol and then we'd get back on. But it was a it was a cycle for sure. Mm-hmm. Once methotrexate came into the to the picture around fifteen, my lab reports came they started to normalize, at least get into the range that the doctors were telling me they wanted. The only thing I remember was sed rate. The sed yeah. rate levels finally it was a huge deal when we got to celebrate awesome. uh, a, a healthy sed rate level. Yeah. Yeah. And um methotrexate kept me in a pretty good way until um my doctor switched me over to Enbrel. Okay. At what age was that? That was probably, I think it was as soon as it came to market. Okay. Maybe 98. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I've, I've been, I've been. On it a long time. 
A long time now. And for many of those years, I'd say until about 2006, I was also taking oral medications. Uh, A partner of mine at the time, she was actually studying Chinese medicine. I grew up in uh, Mississippi, which is a very conservative part of the United States Mm -hmm. and much more religious than scientific, I'd say by and large, and at least the science, or maybe it's religious and scientific, but it's definitely not alternative. So everything in the middle there wasn't really exposed to until I got out to Portland, Oregon, where I lived for the next 16 years. And it was out there, uh, I got exposed to a brand new world. And truthfully, it was it was even more overwhelming. Right. It was much simpler when it was either take yeah. this medication and um, say your prayers. Yeah, once for got, sure. Once I got exposed to the, once the world opened up and, I, and all the options came, it actually got a bit more challenging. Um, just as just as a little comment, my wife's told me that Portland is a fabulous place. It sure is. Yeah, it sure I is. I believe it's, it's um, very, very uh, open-minded to change and forward-thinking and technologically advanced and all sorts of wonderful things happening. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a big education. Yeah, I didn't realize that until it was brought to my attention about a year ago. My wife was raving on about it. Mm. It's a gem. It's a gem. It's booming. Yeah, you know, right. It's, yep. it's a lot of people moving there. Mm-hmm. So I got off the anti-inflammatory or the oral medications uh, in about 2006 and didn't really notice much, much of anything. And what was that? Sorry, uh, those oral meds. What did you then come back down to? Just the Enbrel? Just the Enbrel. Okay. okay. Yeah, just okay. the Enbrel. Mm-hmm. I also had a lot of chronic anxiety that I was also being medicated for over the years. I don't know if there's a big correlation between anxiety, especially with children raised with uh, growing up and developing with chronic illness or not. But that was a massive part of my experience. And uh, at least in my inner world, I felt like I was I was handling the two things and they often felt very connected to me. Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, I know what it's like to go through it as an adult. And, you know, anxiety, I think, is something that uh, that would adequately describe the adult experience as well. So I can only imagine as a, as a child where you don't have an understanding of why this is happening to your body and you don't have an ability to research it and to find out more that it would very much feel like you were um, you know being led into a, a path of unknown and that causes anxiety for everyone meanwhile being you know in excruciating pain the whole time I mean it's totally normal to feel a high degree of anxiety under those conditions for anybody I'd imagine yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the reason I asked that is I was uh, had been put on um, Prozac as well since I was probably 17 when my anxiety and panic attacks got to a, a pretty severe uh, level. Mm-hmm. So uh, 2006, I come off of the medica- the oral anti-inflammatory. I'm left with Inbrel and some stuff for uh, mm-hmm. the anxiety and a lot of marijuana, actually. Okay, uh, that's, yep, yep. That's, uh, something that I – it actually was – probably the the biggest relief for me, certainly from the anxiety, but it eventually became very problematic. And um, these days I'm on, nope, I was, I've been able to through, through kind of a, a final a breakdown when I was about 35, it led me much, much deeper into a spiritual path. And I've, I've gotten off of the, all the Prozac and the Selexa, which, which I had been on at that point since I was 17 and no more marijuana. I've actually felt quite addicted to it. That's become, I, growing up with the high pain level, I didn't know it wasn't normal. And so my relationship to pain, is, I don't know what normal is, quite honestly. And where I'm going with a lot of this is I'm, I'm plenty educated about, I've heard actually every opinion possible 
from um, from medical doctors saying it's like you're going to have this for the rest of your life, no ifs, ands, or buts, to various faith healers saying you need to access rage and everything in between to the point where I'm dizzy. So it's not about it's not even about for me it's not about knowledge. It's more about the inner game. It's more about being able to regulate and cope and stay in my body because I've had so long. Uh, it's even emotional just to say it like for so long I've been trying to get out of my body yeah. and just staying in my body is it's a full-time job. Sure. And so get food was my earliest coping mechanism. It was my earliest way. Like when I would leave doctor's appointments early on and I'd be scared, I'd be asking my mom on some degree, am I going to die? You know, what would make me feel better was a treat at the store, you know, after, or, yeah. or maybe the disappointment of another bad blood work. Guy. Yep. Mm-hmm. So varying ways of coping mechanisms. Um, I'm trying to unroll them back, food being my my oldest one. And I'm finding it very, very, very difficult to let go of mm. food as comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, I've read all kinds of things about the anti-inflammatory diet. And I even feel like I understand that at some degree, there's no cure-all. It's a body-by-body scenario and you kind of need to do an elimination and diet to give your gut a chance. And uh, I've, I haven't found myself able to do that, sadly enough, either for willpower or an inability just to stay calm. And most importantly, being alone, feeling very alone because I'm not connected with other people sharing my experience. Um, in fact, it wasn't until I volunteered for the Portland Arthritis Foundation is really wonderful. And they have a wonderful summer camp for children um, and their families. And there was over 300 people and about 80 children it wasn't until I volunteered there three years ago that I met another person with my condition. Wow. So this this whole time I've just been flying solo trying to fit in. And and in fact, I think when I was once methotrexate br- brought my symptoms down, I remember telling myself, This isn't a big deal. You have no reason to really like this isn't a problem. This isn't this isn't a serious condition. It's not cancer, it's not AIDS. So I was I was really setting myself up for, you know, giving myself a it was hard to give myself a break, yeah. you know, and meanwhile, those last three years have kind of just been dissolving and realizing it's, it's a huge deal. These medications are a huge deal and I'm stuck. I feel stuck. Okay. So there's okay. about 31 years in, in a few minutes. Yeah. So I hope, yeah. hope that clearly. And thank you for being, you know, so um, transparent about all of that and uh, putting all of that information out there because these things are so, so intertwined with our emotion and our identity of who we are and, and how we feel about ourselves as a person and sharing these things. You know, it's not easy. It's not easy to talk about these things. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that you uh, gave me all that information and I've taken some notes here and I want to, I've put little boxes around some things that you touched upon that I want to talk about in response. So first of all, I'm going to try and go through the the simplest, quickest ones first, because that way I just find that easier, the way that my brain works. So first of all, you mentioned the feeling of being alone and the feeling of having this disease and not having someone to talk to about it. And I'm going to be straight straight up here. For a long time, I did not want to speak to anyone else with this condition, nor my family about this condition. In fact, if I could have went through life without anyone knowing that I had it and without me ever having to say the word rheumatoid or arthritis ever again, I would have preferred that. I, I did not identify with the disease and I just wanted it out of me more than words could ever express. Okay, so 
you said how you went all the way until you basically got back just to the Enbro, and I think you said 2006 or maybe three years ago. So let's call it 2009. No, sorry. What are we, 2016? So 2013 is when you actually like did the volunteer and met some other people with the condition and so forth. So I had the condition right through, it was only when I was off my medications and started to become an ambassador for Arthritis New South Wales here in Australia, did I meet anyone else with the disease? <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 So I, was I not- used to say I was just in a pain room by myself. I actually had a phrase for it. A yeah. pain room. Yeah, 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 that's right. You go into your Some room. Some sort of like psych ward where there's no windows or something like that, you know, <laughs> all white yeah. walls. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you feel like punching the walls, you know, you just get so frustrated oh, on the inside. You just feel like, like I used to, I used to sometimes just like roar like a wild animal in anger and frustration just because the sensation that the the attack is coming from your own body. So it's, it's so torturous because it's not like someone's doing it and you can separate them from you and you feel safe. It's that it's from the inside and that is something more sinister than I think we're normally meant to be able to tolerate. So with that in mind, that was one of the reasons that I set up my online coaching and community forum because I realized everyone was exactly like me. Everyone was living in these isolated, you know, pain rooms as you refer to it and no one was talking to each other but all the science shows that if you communicate about this disease on a regular basis you clinically do better than people who do not communicate about it so in that sense it's kind of counterintuitive and so anyway i want to invite you i'm going to give you a copy of our advanced healing package which is all our materials that help to reverse the condition from a dietary exercise meditation and supplementation point of view and also invite you to spend some time with us in our community forum which at your own discretion you can either use or you might just want to use it like a supermarket you might want to go in get some information on a particular topic like get a few grocery items and then leave again other people go in and they spend hours and hours and hours in the supermarket and they read and read and read and read and read and they spend their days in there and I help both the brief shoppers and also the the dwellers and so <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay so look i'm gonna i'm gonna hook you up with both those things because i you. want to uh want to try and uh help you however i can because wow. you've been through so much already that uh you don't need another day without the right information now let's move across to my response or comments on a couple of other things first of all J-I-A, man. I mean, this is one heck of a thing to get when you are eight years old. So I encourage you to watch one of our podcasts, which went out and it was with a lady called Christine. She has a son called Cole and he was only five when he got diagnosed with J-I-A. And then he was put on through his mum, our program, which as a footnote is not designed for children. It's designed for adults, but under the right conditions, the right changes that I at the moment only release to parents upon request. It's not, I don't want parents grabbing our program and doing it for kids without my, hey, these are the things I want you to know first. But she followed all of those modifications. She followed the program with him. And now she's on Instagram and sharing all of his amazing 
progress that he's made. So he's now on no no drugs and he's running around doing kickboxing and he's in basically perfect condition. So I want to add a second footnote to that to say that you should not feel that your parents made any wrong choices with your situation or that they were naive. I mean, even with the right information, the pressures on parents with children with JIA is astronomical because it's not them. And as parents, we become hypersensitive and hyper overcaring to our, our children's situation. We always err on the side of caution. And so I find myself thinking these ways and can relate to parents with JIA who would be in an extrapolated version of this. But when the doctor says, you really need to get those immunizations because of this, this, and this, or really should take antibiotics because of this, this, and this. And actually, thankfully, our daughter's two and a half has never had antibiotics, never needed to. But, you know, you can feel yourself thinking, you know what, it's my child. I've just got to listen to the authorities. And look, that's why they're there. And that's great. So the pressure when there's a child with JIA on the parents is so enormous that doing something that's outside of the conventional treatment, and even if it is only in parallel to the medical drug approach, seems risky. So I just wanted to uh, sort of make that comment as well, because I know we have listeners who have kids with JIA and it's a, it is a big challenge. It's even bigger than when you've got it yourself. Absolutely. No, yeah. Absolutely. I, re- I really appreciate you bringing that point up too, because uh, all things considered, there is no shortage of love from from both the doctors and the parents. That is so clear. Yeah, absolutely. That's so everyone clear. wants the absolute greatest outcome from the child, and uh, everyone's doing their best. So, you know, I feel that I can speak with you on a on more than just the like on a spiritual level. Um, let go of any like, and I don't think you have any of this, but. I think your parents did the absolute greatest job that they could have done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that. Yeah. I will will definitely hug them. Yeah. (laughs) Give them a hug. Now um, I'm going to come to food right at the end. We're going to talk about that last. Something that I would do. And again, listening to the way you described where you're at right now, if you haven't already done this, or I might even be sort of preaching to the converted, so to speak, something that I did because I'm into personal development and I'm into self-improvement, I like that stuff. I like to kind of feel that I'm always learning and I'm always bettering myself so that I can be of more use to others. I've done a lot of different personal development courses, everything from Anthony Robbins and John D. Martini through to something that I'm about to talk about now that I've not talked about in years, let alone on a public forum like a podcast. I did something called Discovering Your Inner Child. And what it was is a, it was started on a Friday afternoon and it finished on a Sunday night. And what we had to do for that entire period of time was to revisit what it was like as a child and to forgive parts of our childhood. And it's very emotional for me to talk about because the impact that it had on me was profound. And I had a nice upbringing. I didn't have the upbringing that you described before. I didn't have an upbringing that had physical pain. And in fact, I didn't really have any sort of emotional pain either. Our, our family unit was very tight and the love between 
my mum and dad, myself and my sister, was strong by any kind of, you know, standards. But when I went through this process, I found that there were parts of my childhood that were very traumatic at the time, even though they might seem small. For instance, one time as a teenager, I would have only been about 12 or 13, but I had a cousin come from a big city and he was all into guns and stuff and he was years older than me and he wanted to go around and, and shoot things as you do because we grew up on a farm. We had, a, we had like two and a half thousand acres. There's things to shoot everywhere, right? But kangaroos were pests. He wants to try and shoot kangaroos and stuff. And for me, it's like living on the farm. The appeal wasn't there as much, but he's the big cousin. He's, he wants, he's exciting, you know? And so we went and uh, did some things that I, that I feel really remorseful for, which again, don't sound that big a deal, but there were some old antique cars uh, on the farm that my grandfather had kept for years because they were becoming collector's items. And they didn't have an engine. They were up on blocks with no wheels. And he thought, let's go shoot the, shoot the windows of that thing. That thing's, they're old. They're just, sh- they're just chassis. There's nothing. There's not even a car. It's just chassis. So we went about target practice and we shot all the windows in and all those cars. And, uh, you know, like my father and my granddad, when they found out that we'd done that, they, it had really upset them. And I hadn't sort of upset my granddad that much, like he was such a gentleman that I, I don't know, like there was a part of that, that, that never sat well with me. And so when I went through this process, things like that and other things that I'd done and just little things, but at the time were a big deal, I was able to find a way of, of loving myself today, the way that we used to love ourselves when we were little. And that was yeah. powerful for me because one of the most profound exercises throughout the weekend, we had to take a picture of ourselves when we were a little little guy. We had to look at the picture of ourselves and feel the innocence and love that we had in us when we were that age and then work out how to bring that into our body and love ourselves the same today as what we, what we did back then. Yeah. yeah. And, and so yeah. for what it's worth, I think that um, – Whilst you're on this spiritual path and if you haven't already done a lot of work on healing the inner child, um, and I'm, I'm, the look in your eye tells me you have, I found it really, really powerful. And for someone who's been through so much as you have, I think there's a lot of, lot of reward in doing that. Mm. Well, uh, yeah, I appreciate it all. I just, uh, just being here with you and talking to somebody who's actually had the shared inner experience, um, and while I also know there's a, there's diversity within this this group, uh, so you know, no two experiences are exactly the same. I just have a, even a lot of relief here in, in contact with you. Yeah, I, I, in the last three years in particular, I've had actually scenes and memories come up that were long gone, specifically around early physical therapy and and that work. I think um, is really part and parcel for me at this point, just as much as uh, changing my relationship with food. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah. couldn't agree uh, anymore. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's now talk about the food. The food's actually one of the, one of the easiest things actually. Now the reason, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. It's easy. I mean, people make it sound like it's extraordinarily complicated and I guess like the Rubik's cube is until you work out how to actually fix the Rubik's cube and get all the colors lined up. 
which I've now forgotten how to do, and I don't think I could do it again without the little cheat guide. But I used to be able to, and when I, it was impossible for me for the longest time. And then someone gave me some tips. A bigger kid at school showed me, oh, no, you got to do this and this and this. And then I'm like, okay, now I know that. It's easy to put it together because you know the formula, you know the system. Our listeners, I've heard me talk about this topic a lot. The food side of things I, I, I um, will save for conversations once you've come up to speed with all the materials that I'll send you. I think that's the best way to handle that. But let's talk about, because you'll have all the detail, right? So we don't need to go in, don't need to explain stuff now in five minutes that that took me, you know, 200 page ebook and eight hours of training videos to explain, you know what I mean? <laughs> but But let's talk about motivating you to actually make changes to your diet so that you can, you know, embrace this next phase. Because the way I look at the actual condition of having the autoimmune disease, whether it be an original JIA and now just rheumatoid or whether it be one of the, you know, 80 odd other names that we give various autoimmune diseases, I believe all of it comes back to the gut. All of it reverts back to a a problem where undigested proteins are getting into the bloodstream and they are being seen as an antigen or an enemy by the immune system and the body creates an antibody and attaches itself to the antigen, and then that little uh, complex floats around the blood and can get trapped in the capillaries of our joints in the case of arthritis, inflammatory arthritis. And the process of of actually stopping the eating. So I don't know if you've ever done a two-day juice fast or a – right, not many people I've have. I've tried. I've tried oh. in the past, but I feel much more capable Okay. Now. Okay, so what happens is about 95% of people with inflammatory arthritis, if they stop eating for two days, virtually all the pain is gone within two days. And so that's why the first two days of my program is a two-day cleanse because it's kind of an epiphany when people get that experience because none of us have really skipped more than one meal throughout our life normally. We, We kind of get so hungry if we skip a meal that we even double up on the next meal that follows. And so we we never really go through life and separate ourselves from food for a period of time because we don't need to. We always have food available at the store and our body tells us that we want to eat. So why would we ever do it? But actually intervening and having the experience of not eating and how that translates to virtually zero pain. And the only time it's not zero is because maybe it takes a little longer for all the food to clear out through the through the intestines. So after five, six, seven days, if people under supervised condition remain on just a water fast or something, then it is a complete removal of all pain. And the reason I said 95% is there is a 5% of people with whom the leaky gut is so significant that they're also reacting to the proteins that are in the lining of the bacteria that are leaking from their from their intestines into their bloodstream but that is only a small percentage of people and after two days most people can tell if they're in the 95 percent or the five percent and i explain in my program how to address each of those different scenarios now the second thing people think is oh it's all too hard you know what I love eating this that and the other and I'm going to be deprived and so forth 
And there's actually, I guess there's two things in there. First of all, nothing is harder than having inflammatory arthritis and having a challenge in your life of that degree and being on very heavy medications and being susceptible to picking up other contagious conditions because of having a suppressed immune system and feeling that, you know, you might have this for the rest of your life and that you're not good enough or worthy, all these emotional things that come with that because we're in a state of physical challenge. I think that's much harder than reaching across and eating some sweet potato or a bean burrito, right? So for me, it's simple. The feeling of going deprived, we have addressed as much as we possibly can by putting together foods that are not only nutritious, but delicious. And so in the first period of time, it is an elimination diet. That's not designed to be delicious. It's designed to be nutritious and to be healing. But with time, you can't believe how good an orange tastes when you haven't had fruit for a couple of weeks. You can't believe how good it is to taste papaya or mango. I mean, they just burst with flavor in your mouth. Once you've eliminated the body's current desires to eat uh, junk food or high-fat foods and all the foods that have not been supporting you in, a, in your efforts to get well, as your gut bacteria receive different foods from the foods that you put into your body, they change in their portfolio because if you've got 10 different, 10 different animals and only three of them live off food A and three live off food B and you only feed food A, all the food B eaters are going to die. And that's what happens. And so then you have only the guys who live off the food that you feed them or not only they dominate and these dominating bacteria group are the ones that support you and help make good decisions in terms of sending signals to your brain and creating desires through your taste buds and influencing your, uh, your moods and everything. So they're the most common objections. It's the uh, thinking of not going to get all your nutrients and protein and all that sort of stuff. It's all hogwash. It all, it's all there. And in fact, in excess, there's no depravity and uh, it's not as hard as having the condition. Mm, well, okay. Since I only, I only know having the condition, I, I look forward to being able to, you know, firsthand agree with you. Yeah. And when I say, you know, so the, the goal should be if it were me, right? And this is the whole purpose of, of this chat. Other than having a great time chatting with you, I think that, um, you know, if I was in your situation, given that you've been through this for many, many years and you're a veteran of having pain and you know all about it, and I think that, um, you know, what I would do is I would look at the stuff that I send you, have a think about it, look at the recipe book for optimal health that I send that come, well, it's actually part of the advanced package, have a look at that. And you might like to transition slowly across from your current food choices. And you might like to say, well, over the next two months, I'm going to introduce some of these optimal health recipes into my evening meals, say two or three times a week. And I'm going to get used to how these make me feel and and find ones that I enjoy. And then after a month or two, you might find that each of your evening meals are plant-based meals, but you haven't yet done the elimination diet right? You're still just, you're eating what I call at the end of the program. The optimal health guide is the kind of the maintenance stage. That's where you go to when you've reintroduced a ton of foods and you're cruising. That's like, for instance, 
how I eat right now, all the foods in that optimal health, we have all eaten as our family over the last few years. They're things that we we have actually eaten and enjoyed. And so that could be one way rather than the kind of hit the brick wall suddenly in terms of the rapid change between your current way and the way that I recommend. And so doing that as well doesn't sort of disrupt the family eating and plans too much. It's kind of like, oh, we're going to we're going to change one meal this week, are we? And everyone can, you know, um and ah about that. And they're like, oh, we don't mind this. And then, oh, I slept better last night. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we'll do that again the same meal next Monday. Why don't we try another one of these recipes? And over a couple of months, it can really, um, even those meals themselves can, can make you uh, notice some differences and uh, maybe get you on board completely to then take it to the next level and do the elimination phase and then the reintroduction process because it's when you get into that that you'll see, you know, big changes. And yeah, yeah. if you want to ever have the discussion around lowering enbrel doses, then that's something we can talk about offline here because that's a, a longer conversation and it would depend on what your current levels of said rate, you know, um, and ESR, of course, uh, and C-reactive protein and, and how your current symptoms are and how your energy levels are and all sorts of things. And so obviously that's a conversation that you tie in with your rheumatologist and there's, there's hurdles to overcome there with regards to uh, not wanting to, you know, go down on medication if, you know, you've failed other drugs so that you need to know that there's backup plans. There's a whole lot to think about. But yeah, I, I think you're at a at a nice sort of fork in the road here where yeah, it's a good time to yeah. start to look at what's next and uh and how you can uh, uh do more now that you um have access to uh all this information and, and now you're ready. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't I think words uh, don't do justice to what I'm feeling. Again, being connected to you, it's uh it's been a long time out here. Yeah. And, um I just uh, I'm I'm beyond grateful for the like how connected you feel to serving other people and the rest of us that are still you know active in the condition uh but i'm also blown away that at your own personal ability to quote unquote figure it out it's almost like figuring out your way out of just a massive hall of mirrors (laughs) and for me in some ways i feel like i'm three decades in (laughs) and i mean it is just there there are no words for what what i I could say about my admiration and bewilderment at the work you've done uh, to just to get space from your own experience and to be able to make your body and to have the presence to stick with it and experiment. And, um, you know, it's just uh, wow. Wow. No, so thanks, I'm man. just feeling a whole lot. Yeah, oh, that's lovely. You know, those words, you know, mean a lot to me because it is exactly like that. And to stick with your metaphor of the, of the hall of mirrors, man, the number of times I must've smashed into a mirror and bled from my forehead, it would have been hundreds. I mean, Melissa and I were just talking the other day, my wife, we used to, um, we actually made some of our, that's right. I've forgotten this. I was going to write an email out to my database and tell them another story because I like keeping everyone up to date when I recall new things and, and, and share new things. And some of the greatest discoveries that we made were through reading books. I I just love to consume content and books were great for us when we were on what what we 
reflect upon as holidays, but they're actually working holidays for us. I used to go on cruise ships all the time as an entertainer. It was the way that I could, you know, help support my family. And Melissa would sometimes come with me. And on a cruise ship as a performer, you only work once or twice out of nine days. Like in the rest of the time, you're on the ship like a passenger with nothing to do. And so we used to use that vast amount of time and just read book after book. And we would read it out loud to each other. And sometimes, you know, we would read things out and I'd be reading from the page and it was like I was seeing the light. You know, that's what we need to be doing. And, oh, we've been doing that wrong. And we would get some of those experiences from, you know, almost every book that we would read, we would find a page where there'd be something like that, or there'd be, you know, I would sometimes buy a book just because it had one line item in the menu when you looked at view inside this book on Amazon, one line item on one thing, maybe one supplement that I wanted to know about. And I would, I would, you know, spend all my money on, on, on trying to get well, because it was just, just became just the most single, most important thing to me ever. And it is so much harder when you can't commit the amount of time that I committed to it. And because I had to commit, I committed every living moment to it when I wasn't performing on stage. And I used to only, I still only gig like once or twice a week, right? Okay. So most of my work, 70% of my work is in Sydney here where we live. And so I'm within an hour or about an hour and a half of any job that I need to do. And I can sometimes go in, knock out half an hour and then come home again. I'm done. And I have yeah. Yeah, been doing this for 16 years and last 10 years, no, last 10 or 12 years as a corporate entertainer so that I, you know, I, I get like corporate wage from doing 30 minutes a week. Do you know what I mean? It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. And, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> it's just, um, but because of that, it, it allowed us to have all this time and the time was just what I just needed so much to not just do the research, but also to experiment with my foods. And again, I want to reiterate to people, we haven't touched upon it in this episode, but to exercise. And I used to have to go to Bikram yoga every single day of my life just so that I could walk. If I didn't go, I could barely walk. And so I would skip, if I skipped one day, that next day, I like should have been on crutches. And if I had not gone another day, I wouldn't have been able to walk. And so I had to go just to walk. So the level of commitment is, yeah, is nothing short of, of phenomenal. It's nice to, uh, for you to be able to, uh, to see that as well, because every now and then there are some, you know, some free support groups that exist online where, you know, people all get together and they, um, they talk about their illnesses and they talk about the medications they're on. And it generally turns into you know, everyone just complaining and, and whinging and stuff, right? Online. There's some, yeah. a, lot, a lot of these exist. And like sometimes I'll just, you know, someone will bring to my attention some nasty comments or something that are posted on one of these forums. And I'll, I'll look at that and it's like, oh, he mustn't have even had rheumatoid arthritis or something. And it's just, oh man, it, it's, yeah, these things are uh, unsettling, even from even from uh, strangers and people who who don't know, you know. So it's nice yeah. to 
to hear nice, nice things, which of course I, I do get a lot, but uh, I feel connected with you and coming from you. It's, it's, uh, it's really nice. Well, well, happy to help you, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I would like to continue talking to you, you know, off the record. I, there's a lot of outside, you know, this has brought me very deep into many, many levels that probably aren't completely relevant just to somebody maybe just beginning this or who was diagnosed this year or something like that. Uh, and also, I feel like my life's work is building on this experience, with which this is a part. Um, I'm very interested in not only uh, chronic illness in the body, but chronic illness in all systems at all levels. So the idea of a body or a, even a society attacking itself. And, and I have a bunch of ideas that I'd like to parlay and take this own, this experience. I, I, I Just like you, I think it's going somewhere. Yeah, fantastic. Um, yep. And Good place to start. A lot of our listeners like going on Instagram and following a lot of our podcast guests. I think that, um, you know, if you were to set up a uh, some kind of social media account or if you have a website, if you have some kind of uh, GoFundMe or some kind of initiative that people can access from anywhere in the world via the internet and you put that in place before we go live on this episode, then I'm very, very happy uh, to drive traffic to that because you're very much uh, like-minded with our listeners and I'm sure a lot of people will be keen to uh, to see what you've got going on there and, and, and I am as well. Happily, it's it's actually in the process. I do have a domain, but it's only a blog, and it's been inactive for a year. But the last uh, 18 months or so of my life have been very, very interesting. Lots of world travel, lots of deep exploration into this very thing, uh, rescuing myself in a way, amending my, to myself and to my my family. And uh, there's a blog, one blog post in particular that I think actually would be interesting, maybe for somebody in this experience. Um, that uh, I can certainly share. And I think I wrote, I wrote it down on the, the form beforehand uh, called Growing Up in Black and White. And uh, yeah, it, it definitely talks a lot about my inner world and the outer world and, and uh, how I was making sense of it all, growing up in Mississippi and with a chronic illness. So. Right, great. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, um, make sure we, uh, we get the right URL for that and I'll add it to the show notes of this podcast. So we planned uh, to do about 20 minutes and we've uh, taken it to Oof. a whole new level. Wow. But I'm sure listeners uh, are not upset by that because I've certainly got a lot out of chatting with you and I hope that uh, other uh, people have as well, hearing what your, uh, what your story has, has been and also um, what you're going to be up to in the future. So thanks a lot, John, and uh, we'll be in touch offline. Thank you, Clint. I really appreciate it. Okay, man. I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to the Pattison Program. For more information, visit pattisonprogram.com.